The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow the Killer Instincts podcast once you're there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instincts. If you are new here, thank you so much for tuning in to my podcast. And if you are returning, then welcome back. Today's case, you guys, is a crazy one. We are talking about an unsolved serial killer. And this is a case that you guys have recommended for a while. And it's always been on my list. And I finally decided to look into it. And I can definitely, definitely see why you guys are so interested in this case is because it is so so it's crazy the whole thing is absolutely crazy and it's crazy that it hasn't been solved yet the murders did happen a long time ago but still the case is unsolved so we are just going to jump right into it today and today we are talking about the alphabet killer also known as the double initials killer So this is an unsolved serial killer case, like I mentioned, and this case deals with the murders that occurred between 1971 and 1973 in Rochester, New York, and there are some murders after the 1973 year, and there also are some murders in California. So I know that we are a little bit all over the map here, but I'm going to try to break it down for you as best as I can. So the reason that these killings are known as the alphabet murders or the double initial murders is the fact that for each victim, the first and last name of each victim starts with the same letter. And not only that, for the killings in Rochester, New York, each victim's body was found in a town that had a name starting with the letter of the victim's name, which might sound a little bit confusing, but just hang in with me because you will understand once I go into it a little bit more. You may have also heard about this case before. There is a movie based off of this case, as well as a book. So with that introduction and with that all being said, let's dive right into the first victim. So the first known victim of the alphabet killer was a little girl named Carmen Colon. Carmen was 10 years old when she disappeared on November 16th of 1971. Carmen was four feet tall and 65 pounds. Her mother was actually only 14 years old when she became pregnant with Carmen, and Carmen spent most of her time at her grandparents' house. Carmen had a very big family. She spent a lot of time with her family. She loved playing with her cousins as well as her neighbors. And on the afternoon of November 16th of 1971, Carmen's mom asked Carmen if she would go to the drugstore. The drugstore was called Jack's Drugstore, and it was right down the street to fill out a prescription for her little sister who had an ear infection. Carmen left that afternoon to go to the drugstore but never returned home. A typical rule in Carmen's home was if she ever went anywhere, if she ever ran any errands for her mom or for her other family members, she would always have to be accompanied by her grandfather. And that is because, like I said, she was only 10 years old. But the drugstore that Carmen had to go fill up the prescription at, Jack's Drugstore, was only around the corner at the end of the block from where Carmen lived. So she did not have to walk far. And this particular time, Carmen forgot to tell her grandfather that she was leaving. 
there was probably two sides to that she probably forgot to tell him as well as the fact that it was only down the street and so she probably thought it wasn't that far and that she could do it on her own and carmen entered the drugstore at 4 30 p.m so she did get to the drugstore and she gave the prescription to the employee working there as well as her mother's medicaid card and because of the medicaid card the employee working told carmen that she needed to come back in about 30 minutes because there was some paperwork that he needed to get done before she, he could fill out the prescription after the employee told Carmen this, she left the store but never came back and Carmen's family called the police at about 7.50pm that same night to file a missing persons report. So about an hour after Carmen had been abducted, she was seen jumping out of a moving car that was driving down what's now known as the Interstate 490 or the Western Expressway. She ran onto oncoming traffic, screaming for help, and she was wearing no clothes from the waist down, and she was running while holding her pants in her hands. Some people say that they witnessed an adult running after Carmen. Some people say that they saw a car parked onto the side of the road. Most witnesses say that the car that Carmen jumped out of was a Cadillac. Regardless of what anyone says that they saw, no one stopped to help Carmen. No one thought anything of it. No one stopped to see if anything was wrong. Everyone that was driving practically towards Carmen kept driving. And because none of the cars stopped to help Carmen, Carmen's abductor chased after her and caught her and put her back in the car. One of the witnesses said that the person who put her back in the car was a woman who actually left out of the passenger side of the car. So obviously, if there's a woman coming out of the passenger side of the car, someone has to be driving the car. Two days after she went missing, on November 18, 1971, there were two teenage boys, and these boys were riding one of their motorcycles, um, and this was about 12 miles away from where Carmen lived. The two boys had the specific route that they would take when they would ride their motorcycles. One was 12 years old and one was 15, so they weren't really allowed to ride their motorcycles on actual road, but they would do it on a street where there were really no cars ever. And on the third lap around their typical route, both boys freaked out when they saw something that looked like a doll hidden in the grass. They stopped riding their motorcycle, they got off and walked over to a deep ditch on the side of the road, and when they walked over, they found the body of 10-year-old Carmen Cologne. Carmen was found wearing nothing from the waist down, but she was wearing a purple sweater, blue socks, and white sneakers. When Carmen disappeared, she was wearing a coat and pants, but the coat was found the following day, about 100 yards away from where her body was found, and her pants were found on the expressway from when she tried to escape. Carmen was found with scratches all over her body and bruises near her throat, and the boy said that the body looked like it had been specifically placed there, as well as the police. The police also say the same thing. Obviously, when the boys discovered Carmen, they immediately called 911. The police showed up, and that is when Carmen's body was identified. Carmen's family members were actually looked in as suspects in her murder. One of the first suspects in the murder was her uncle named Miguel. And this is because not long after the murder of Carmen, he told one of his friends that he did something really bad and that he needed to move to Puerto Rico. And he did move to Puerto Rico, but the police found him and questioned him, interrogated him. And he was 100% adamant on the fact that what he was referring to was not Carmen's murder, but it was fraud that he had done. 
and Carmen's father was also looked into this as a serious suspect because he had left Rochester not too long after the death of Carmen and a lot of people saw that as really suspicious but Carmen's half-sister Maria said that he just had to go take care of himself and he didn't want to be in the same area where his daughter had died and he just needed to separate himself from the situation and it was his way of coping. In the same area that Carmen had lived, someone had found a scratching on a bathroom stall in the men's bathroom of a restaurant that said, I killed a 10 year old girl, please stop me before it happens again. Obviously this was very alarming to police and for everyone to see and made people believe that this was about to be a series of killings and unfortunately that theory was correct. On April 2nd of 1973, in the late afternoon of this day, there was a girl named Wanda Walkowicz. Wanda was four feet seven and weighed about 77 pounds. She lived with her mother as well as her sisters. And this specific day, her mother had given her a grocery list because she wanted Wanda to go to the grocery store, which was about three blocks down the street where Wanda and her family lived. Wanda arrived at the grocery store, had checked out from the grocery store. I think the total of the groceries that she bought was about like $8.50 something cents. Um, but the bag that she was carrying, everyone says that saw her was about as big as she was. And Wanda was seen leaving the grocery store, but unfortunately she never made it home. A lot of people in this situation pointed a lot of fingers at Wanda's mom, Joyce, because Joyce was kind of known to not be neglectful, but she definitely went out and had her own life. She was known to go out and drink at the bars a lot. She also had a boyfriend at the time named Junior, and people knew them to just get really drunk together. And because her mom was out a lot, Wanda had a lot of responsibilities that the typical 11-year-old wouldn't have. And just a couple days before Wanda's disappearance on March 31st, Wanda and her friend Linda were walking home one night and they said that they were being followed by a stranger and Linda's mom filed a police report because this incident was so serious. Like this got crazy because Linda and Wanda were walking home and they said that they saw this man in the bushes. And once they saw him in the bushes, Wanda and Linda just grabbed each other's hands. Mind you, they're 11 years old. These are little, little girls they grabbed each other's hands and booked it and they ran towards Wanda's house and once they got there this man followed them to Wanda's house and once the girls got inside this man who was following them walked up to Wanda's house and said I'll get you next time Obviously, that's so terrifying for anyone to hear, and the police tried to look for the man who said this, but they were unable to find anything. Both Wanda and Linda said that they really weren't able to make out what this guy really looked like as far as his facial features. They were able to say that he was a white man about medium height, but as far as anything else, they really had no clue. Following her disappearance the next day, on April 3rd, at about 10.15 in the morning in the town of Webster, there was a state trooper who was driving around who found something in the hillside and went to go investigate it. He thought he saw something a little bit odd, and when he got closer, he found that he was unfortunately 100% right because once he got closer, he realized that he had just found the body of Wanda. 
Wanda's body was found about 17 hours after she had been abducted. She was lying face down. And the difference between Carmen's body and Wanda's body is that Wanda's body was not found with scratches all over it like Carmen's was. She was found bruised. Wanda's body was bruised, but she didn't have the scratches. Um, and the autopsy examiner claimed that Wanda had been raped and strangled with a belt. The way that Wanda's body was found indicated that there had been a struggle. She had defensive wounds on her and she also had dirt underneath her fingernails. And with the way that her body had been placed, it looked almost to police like Wanda had actually been thrown out the window, which sounds a little bit crazy, but she was only 77 pounds. So I guess someone of a greater strength could potentially throw her. That would be still difficult, but I guess it's not impossible. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. The police immediately put out an anonymous hotline for people to call in tips that they had about the murders of both Carmen and Wanda. And just three days after they put out this tip line, about over 200 tips came in. There was one tip in particular that got the police's attention, and it was someone who said that they had seen a white man about medium height, which mind you is kind of the same exact description as the one that Linda and Wanda gave about the man who was following the two of them. This person who called in the tip said this man was a white man about a medium height who forced a redheaded girl into a light colored Dodge Dart car between 5.30 and 6 o'clock PM on the night that Wanda went missing. Wanda did have red hair, so she pretty much fit this description perfectly, and the police were also told that the man who was putting her in this car had a knife, and not too far after the first call came in, someone else called, said that there was the same car, a Dodge Dart, spotted at the dump site in the morning after Wanda's disappearance, so basically someone saw the car at the same spot that Wanda's body was found. Then, just a couple months later, on November 26, 1973, 11-year-old Michelle Mayenza disappeared. Michelle had hazel eyes, shoulder-length brown hair, and the day that she went missing, she had actually gotten bullied really badly. She was being teased at school, and at recess, all the kids were bullying her, and she got into an argument because of it, and she spent the rest of the day at school crying in the nurse's office. And because of this, she had to stay later after school in detention. Michelle's mom typically walked to the school that Michelle and her sister attended and she would walk there, get the girls from school and walk them home. But because Michelle was in detention this specific day, Michelle's mom was only able to pick up her little sister and assumed that Michelle would be able to walk home on her own. Michelle left attention to walk home by herself at about 3.20 or 3.30 p.m. on November 26th, but unfortunately she never made it home that day. 
So there was a girl who claimed that she knew Michelle and that she saw her in a tan colored car around the time of day that she would have been walking home from school. And this girl said that the man who took Michelle really actually looked kind of familiar to her, kind of looked like someone who she had seen at the local pizza parlor or at the local restaurant. She said it definitely didn't look like a stranger, but she couldn't quite put her finger on who it actually was. This girl described the man as a white man in medium height and a little bit of a mustache and a beard. And the search for Michelle immediately took off with at least 40 policemen looking for her like as soon as she was reported missing because at this point police took this so seriously because they knew what had happened to Wanda. They knew what had happened to Carmen and they did not want the same thing to happen to Michelle. Police didn't really take the little girl's witness statement very seriously, I would say, because she was so young. Um, but the car that Michelle was seen getting into had actually sped off so quickly when this girl saw it that it cut the corner and almost crashed into another car. And it was the person, the man driving the car that almost got hit, who gave the police another statement with pretty much the exact same description of the man who was driving it. So police took it a little bit more seriously at that point. Two days after Michelle's disappearance, there was a police officer driving along a pretty abandoned, not abandoned, but a pretty deserted road. It wasn't in the city or anything like that. It had about 10 houses on this road. It was a pretty long road um, and there just weren't a lot of people around, but a police officer discovered Michelle's body on this road. And the police were 100% certain that the person responsible for killing Wanda was the exact same person responsible for killing Michelle, just because of the similarities in their bodies when they were found the one piece of evidence that holds all three of these girls together is that on all three girls there were white animal hairs found which is really odd if you think about it like why would like i don't even really want to think why there would be white animal hairs on them but on all three girls white animal hairs were found which is pretty much the one link that kept carmen connected to wanda and michelle so it wasn't until after Michelle was found that the connection was made of the double initials that each victim had. There was a doctor named Dr. David Barry, who was a psychiatrist who was interviewed in 1974, so about three years after Carmen's murder and a year after Wanda and Michelle's, and he said that each girl had he expressed that each girl having double initials was in no way, shape, or form a coincidence at all, and it indicated that this killer knew each girl ahead of time, or at least stalked them well enough. Because if you think about it, the likelihood that someone has kidnapped three different girls, all having double initials, and more than that, all of the girls, like I said, were found in towns. And along with that, like I said, all three of these girls were found in towns with the same starting letter as their first name. Carmen was found in Churchville, Wanda was found in Webster, and Michelle was found in Maston, I believe is how you say it. And Dr. Barry basically says that this is way too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. And if you think about it, it's kind of, I believe it. Like it's just, it's very ironic and it would be extremely unusual for this person to just be able to kidnap three girls, all having the same exact first and last initial, as well as dumping their bodies in places where their first letter of their name was the first letter of the town. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense thinking that this is just some random thing that happened. 
And after this interview was published, the double initial finding is what pretty much led all three of these cases. Like that's what a lot of people were leading with in all three of these cases, that that was the connection in all three, along with the white animal hair. Because not only did the killer know the names of all these girls, he had to have known when they were going to be alone. So I'm about to touch on two different murders where the victims actually don't have double initial names, but these murders are questioned to be connected to whoever is responsible for the three murders that we just talked about, just because of the geography of the girls and the age of the girls, basically. So... On April 11th of 1976, Michelle McMurray was found strangled without clothes right outside of her apartment building. Michelle's mom had told the police that she had last seen her daughter at about 2 a.m. the night before. She said that she left Michelle home alone to go get cigarettes at the local bar. She returned a little bit later with a man, and when she got home, Michelle was nowhere to be found. This case remained unsolved until about 2001 when a cigarette bud being smoked by a person of interest was recovered and matched with DNA of a man named James Pressler, who was the superintendent of the apartment building at the time and James was arrested and charged with the murders of Michelle and he actually died of a heart attack while in jail. I'm bringing this up because a lot of people question whether James could have been responsible for the other murders but his DNA was not matched with any of the other victims. Then there was a woman, so then there was a girl named Wendy Jerome. Like I said, doesn't follow into the criteria of the double initial murders. However, kind of falls into the same circumstance, I guess you could say. It was the night of Thanksgiving on November 22nd of 1984. So we're now talking about, I don't know, like 10, so we're now talking about 10 years after the murder of Michelle and Wendy. So we're now talking about 10 years after the murders of Wanda and Michelle. And this occurred in Rochester, New York. Wendy was 14 years old. Wendy asked her dad if it would be okay if she went and visited a friend's house. Her friend only lived a few blocks away from where Wendy lived. And it was her friend's birthday the next day and she had a birthday card she wanted to give her so Wendy's dad let her go and it was about 7 o'clock p.m. when she had left and Wendy's curfew was 8 p.m. but when 8 p.m. rolled around and Wendy didn't come home Marlene who is Wendy's mom knew something was very very wrong Marlene called the police immediately when she realized something was very wrong and when the police showed up to Marlene's home, they unfortunately had to tell Marlene that Wendy had been found raped and murdered. She was found lying in an alcove right outside of an entrance of a kindergarten school just a couple blocks away from her home. The schoolyard where Wendy's body was found was not on the route to Wendy's friend's house. So Marlene suspects that Wendy probably tried to go and see another friend that night who was not in the same direction and she probably just tried to cut through the school. Marlene was told by police that Wendy was unconscious during whatever had happened to her, so she probably didn't suffer a lot. But Marlene said that from the autopsy report, the autopsy examiner wrote several times about defensive wounds that Wendy had which obviously means Wendy was awake she did put up a fight and she unfortunately didn't succeed in that 
I know me talking about Michelle McMurray and Wendy Jerome is a little bit not on the track of the double initials murders, but I did feel like it was worth mentioning just because it was around the same time and Michelle's murder was obviously solved, but Wendy's still is not. And it was around the same time. It was in the same area. It very well could have been that the double initial killer just kind of had a spur of the moment outbreak and outburst. And it was 10 years, over 10 years after the murders of Carmen and Wanda, as well as Michelle and this definitely just could have been a murder in the moment type of deal or it could not have been this could be a different person but I thought I would mention it just because it is a little bit too close for comfort in my mind so now let's talk about the potential suspects in this case and keep in mind this case is unsolved so we're just going to run through the list of the suspects and why they are considered them the first suspect is named Kenneth Alessio Bianchi, and he was an ice cream vendor in Rochester, New York at the time. Part of the reason he was deemed as a suspect is because Kenneth was vending close to the first two murders when he was delivering ice cream. But here is where the crazier part of this story comes in because Kenneth and Angelo moved to Los Angeles, California in the late 1700s and they are responsible, if you have heard their name before, for the Hillside Murders. And the Hillside Murders are a totally different deal for a totally different episode one day. But the fact that Kenneth is questioned for these murders and he is also responsible for the Hillside Murders, obviously he's capable of murder. It doesn't bother him too much. Um, also, Kenneth drove a Cadillac and that was, if you remember, questioned after Carmen's murder. When Kenneth moved to California, he had actually told people that he had to get out of Rochester because he was being suspected of the double initial killer, of being the double initial killer. What is different though, is when you look at the Hillside murders, which is a whole separate case, like I said, none of the victims in the Hillside murders have double initials. And there was just one underage girl in that group of victims. So even though in the Hillside murders, none of the women had double initials, the killings and disposing of the bodies were very similar, but there was no DNA match from Kenneth to any of the girls. So a lot of people think that it's him, but because of the no DNA match, he isn't really, he isn't really viewed as a suspect anymore for this particular case. The second suspect is a man named Dennis Esturini, and Dennis was a Rochester firefighter as well as a serial rapist. I know it's kind of a very two opposite sides of the spectrum there, but he was known as the garage rapist in Rochester. And when police went to go arrest Dennis, they found him literally in the act of committing suicide. And unfortunately, it was too late for police to do anything because he had died. And while it is unknown if Dennis was a pedophile, because his only known victims are not children. Police did find white cat hairs in his garage, which would make sense for the white hairs found on Carmen, Wanda, and Michelle. Police did take a DNA sample from Dennis. However, it did not match any of the girls. So after that finding, he was kind of looked past as a suspect. Suspect number three is probably the most, um, like, I don't know how you say it. People think that he is most likely to be responsible for this. This man's name is Joseph Nazo, and Joseph is originally from Rochester, New York, and then he moved to California. 
And what's crazy about Joseph is that he was actually arrested for the murders of multiple women who I will name off. Their names were Roxine Ragosh, Cheryl Carter, Marina Mitchell, Pamela Perkin, Tracy Turfoil, and Carmen Cologne, another Carmen Cologne, which I think is absolutely like the odds of that are just crazy in and of itself and when police found joseph they were a hundred percent convinced that this guy had to be guilty because if you haven't caught on by now he killed double initials but just in california and he's from rochester the whole thing just makes sense so police really wanted to pin it on this guy and joseph did not trust lawyers and he insisted on defending himself in his trial he even had to cross-examine his wife. I'm pretty sure that's a law that you can't cross-examine your marital spouse or something like that. But something about Joseph when it comes to his killings is that he liked to keep lists and scrapbooks of the women he raped and murdered. And he wrote a lot about body types and he would keep pictures of the women before and after he murdered them. It was just some really disturbing stuff that he did. And Something that wasn't mentioned in his journals, though, was the alphabet or the double initial coincidence. Like I said, the fact that all of these women have the exact same double initial names, I think is way too close of a coincidence to be a coincidence. I don't think it's random. I don't, I just, I don't think that at all. And even though with all of the coincidences, Joseph's DNA was not a match to any of the three double initial girls in Rochester. People still have a hard time believing that Joseph is not guilty though. People still really, really believe that there's something is going on and that he is definitely involved and guilty of the double initial girls in Rochester. The last suspect that I'm going to talk about is a man named Theodore Given or Ted Given. Ted was constantly in and out of prison, like his entire life, constantly in and out of prison. He was more, he spent more time in prison than he didn't. And he had rape charges and kidnapping charges and murder charges. So similarly to the other suspects we have seen, he clearly was not afraid of killing. And he was incarcerated during the time of Carmen Cologne's murder, but he was out of jail during the time of Wanda and Michelle's murder. And at the time of Michelle's murder, he was staying with his dad, actually, who lived only 200 yards away from Michelle's family home. What's even more suspicious is that the girl who had seen Michelle being taken away in a tan sedan car the one who initially gave that first description, was given a picture lineup. And one of those pictures was Ted Given, and she pointed him out as the person who drove Michelle away. So there is an author named Michael Benson, and I watched Michael's entire presentation on the alphabet killer and on the double initial murders. And Michael had actually started writing letters to Ted Given, which is crazy. In 2016, he started writing letters to Ted. And Ted right now is in a psychiatric facility for the mentally insane, as well as for criminals. So and Michael reached out to Ted to try to get inside of his head a little bit and try to get more insight as to what the double initial killer might have been thinking when carrying out these acts, but definitely obviously approached it in the way where Ted Given was not responsible for this and just kind of said, you know, I know you didn't do this, but if you were to do this, like how would you kind of, how would this have happened? And it's it reminded me a lot of, if you've seen the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, Ted Bundy kind of approached it in the way of like, well, 
I didn't do this, but if I were to do this, this is how I would do it. And that kind of reminded me a lot of this situation here. Ted Given told Michael that the alphabet killer is the name that should be used when addressing this person, not the double initials killer, because that was just incorrect and not right. And it shouldn't be referred to as that. This person should be referred to as the alphabet killer. Ted also said that he was not responsible for these murders and he is not the alphabet killer. A little bit odd that he would be so defensive about the name that is being used if he is not responsible for it. Ted talked about his own kidnappings that he was incarcerated for and locked up for. Ted said that when carrying out his own kidnappings, he would bribe girls into his car by saying he had gifts for them. And then when they would walk over and get close enough to his car, he would grab them, throw them in the trunk and shut the hood. And he said it would happen so fast that the girls wouldn't be able to move or make a sound. There is no DNA match from Ted Given onto any of the girls that we talked about in the beginning, the double initial girls. Um, but police and a lot of people do have a theory that when it comes to the double initial girls, Carmen, Wanda, and Michelle, that Carmen was killed by a different murderer than Michelle and Wanda. And I know I touched on that a little bit earlier, but a lot of people think that the double initial aspect is a weird coincidence, but it's nothing strong enough to be a reason for killing. And when it comes to Carmen having a different murderer, a lot of people say that there was a woman seen chasing Carmen. And when it comes to Michelle, there was no woman. And when it comes to the man that was following Wanda and Linda, there was no woman. And a lot of people think that that could possibly mean that there are different killers, that they have that they were murdered by two different people. Also, the scratches on Carmen's body, a lot of people thought that because there were scratches on Carmen's body and not on Wanda and Michelle's, it indicated that Carmen's murderer was not the same as Wanda and Michelle's. I don't know if that's a big enough reason to believe that the murderer is not the same person, but to me, it's more than that. If I'm being honest, it's the double initial thing. It just does not make sense to me how someone can coincidentally kidnap rape and murder three girls all with the same double initial names this person very well could have known all three girls but i definitely think the more likely situation is that this was probably someone who stalked these girls unfortunately and kind of knew their routine knew them really well and waited for the right moment to take them a lot of people think though that this was just wrong place wrong time as far as where these girls were they were unfortunately taken at the wrong place at the wrong time and just randomly happened to have the same double initial name Personally, for me, I don't think that makes as much sense. Um, but like I said, this is an unsolved case, so there really is no quite. So there really is nothing off the table as far as suspects, as far as what happened. And I think it's so important in these unsolved cases, I say it every single time, to keep talking about them. And I know I cover unsolved cases that happened a little while ago. Like this definitely happened well over a couple decades ago. But that's part of the reason I like to talk about these cases because it happened so long ago. And I think that with the advances that have been made in DNA technology and things like that, I think it is very, very possible that if we keep continuing to talk about these cases, that they have a possibility of being solved. 
I am so curious to know what you guys think about this case because my mind is everywhere with it. I cannot figure out what I think. I definitely think that Joseph Nazo as well as Kenneth Bianchi are very, very suspicious as far as their stories go. Kenneth literally was a part of the Hillside murders and Joseph was a double initial serial killer in California who is from Rochester. So it just makes no sense to me, but I am so, so, so curious to know what it is that you guys think about this case so I definitely want you to tweet me or dm me on instagram what it is you think happened here do you think the murderer of Carmen is the same murderer of Michelle and Wanda also what do you think happened to Wendy Jerome do you think that is the same murderer definitely reach out to me give me your theory I want to hear it and I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct we have new episodes here every week, so make sure you hit that follow button so you are always, always updated. With that being said, you guys, that is it for me today. Thank you so much for tuning into this case and stay safe and I will see you next week. Bye.